You're listening to Red Center, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's Red Centre, number 74. Not that it really matters what the number is. Jason Wingrove, how are you, sir? I'm very well and quite relaxed. How are you? I know you're relaxed. The date today is the 15th of October, and uh, we're recording this sometime in the afternoon. Not quite sure why we do that, but apparently for late-breaking news, it's important for you to know exactly when we recorded this in case they uh, release four dozen epics into the market uh, the day after, and we sound like idiots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> late-breaking news we don't really have this week. Was nice, do, do we need late-breaking news to sound like idiots? I don't think so. No, no, we can do that. All over ourselves. So we want to thank you once again for making uh, Red Center such a huge uh, success. We really appreciate it. We've had some real bumps in the numbers lately, so thank you. We're going to get into the show. We've got coming up later in the Red Room a good friend of mine, Ed Moore. We've talked about Ed before. Um, he's the DOP on the uh, film that uh, – or the sort of pilot that I shot in London – a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Ed and I sat down for a lengthy chat about that and just generally attitudes to filmmaking and stuff. Um, and uh, we also have a bunch of news and clever things that Mr. Wingrove has found uh, across the wide across the net. interwebs, in the intertubes. When he wasn't shooting for uh, one day on Earth. So let's go straight to the news. <laughs> the news. And mm. uh, one day on Earth, Mr. Mr. Wingrove. Oh, yeah, that was good. That was good. Um, well, I'm not quite sure how many people actually shot, but theoretically, uh, I think a few eps back I spoke to One Day on Earth about this kind of global, cool kind of Vimeo worldwide thing, like I guess like a day in the life of just covering the world in uh, on the 10th, the 10th, the 10th. So that was last Sunday. And, which, uh, which, of course, the 10th, the 10th, the 10th in binary was 42. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sigh. Cool. Geek. God damn it. Yes. Uh, no, it was good. Good shoot. Um, it was good fun, good weather, amazing people down at... I just went, again, did a bit more shooting down at... Uh, I went to Icebergs at Bondi. People are getting sick of me uh, shooting people in pools, but uh, some great footage and, uh, yeah, had a great time. So I'm going to put a little cut up soon on Vimeo, but uh, in the meantime, it's head down, bum up, trying to get them an edit so they can... Um, put it into the mix with any luck. Sure, so. and I, th- I don't know if we just said it then, but uh, our notes are here by our um, able body research team had it as .com, but it's actually a .org, isn't it? So one day on earth .org. Ah, yes, indeed. Um, and I only say that because I think it's worth uh, checking it out and, um, and having a look. Um, yeah. Now, Good we've got about a month now that we're in for uploading footage before it's the project's finished, right? Like it's a yeah. There's a period now where people have time to edit and upload it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a few people have uploaded now, but most people have done um, a substantial sort of amount of filming and not really going to have stuff uh, up up for in another couple of weeks. But yeah, you've got a month pretty much to get it. Uh, get I think to the tenth of the eleventh. Right, and then um, and then after that, we'll be going to independent film festivals, or be just all online. That's a very good question. I should I should go back and listen to the episode I recorded ages ago. What have you signed your rights away for? I've I've signed I've signed rights away for usage within that show, but uh, obviously I still actually own my own footage, and it's all a little bit. Um, you still own whatever you shoot, you know, essentially. So, were you aiming to produce a narrative that had a, a story arc um, for this? I mean, and if so, what was that? Or am I preempting the film? Well, I. I 
Uh, well, literally, it was just a little slice of life, I guess, yeah. of uh, life on the pool there at uh, the Icebergs on the Sunday, which happens to be their big sort of club day, our swimming day, I suppose. Um, I guess I was just not to necessarily have a beginning, middle and end because I don't really know how long that little beginning, middle and end might need to be. You know, it might need, they might just want a couple of minutes. They might want none of it. I don't know. So I think I've just going to be it's literally just i guess something that can be turned into a little mini slice of life doco that could be a minute could be five minutes could be anything really so i haven't stayed away from structure per se it's really just uh, i've got some uh, interviews and pretty pictures and so that can really be scaled up to whatever size they want i suppose but i'm sure there's, i know there's lots of people have been doing some fantastic just one time lapse shot you know spend all day doing a time lapse shot and or or done um, literally just gone and done pretty pictures so it'll be interesting for the guys to work out how you put this together how do you then assemble you know potentially 11,000 and 11,500 people's worth of footage uh, across a million styles and a million ideas and you know languages and how do you put that all together into into a feature length docker i just i don't envy them in in any way uh, at all i mean i mean you can't just make it all like um uh Baraka, you know, where it's just some pretty pictures. I think there's a lot of people going to be doing dialogue. So I don't know. Be interesting, be interesting to see how it all comes together. And uh, so I'm, I'm guessing that there's a month or two after the month deadline, if if not more, when they're going to be putting that together. Yeah, and I imagine that if people have submitted five minutes, they might come back to you and say, "Look, we just need a minute of this," or right. "Can we just have some?" I think the idea is to then, once they've chosen who they want to, you know, whose footage they want to put in there, they probably then go back and say, "Give us the raw footage," so that separating it out from whatever soundtrack whatever music you've done and we'll just you know make it part of a whole so i don't know but uh, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves and would you shoot on uh 5d and uh, a uh, another 5d nathan roger came along and helped me on with his 5d and we also had a 1d uh, um, cinematography man of mine frank flick came along with his 1d and he shot mostly mostly 50 60p which was interesting. I'd never seen really because I have never had the ability to shoot fifty or sixty p. But to seeing fifty or sixty p footage from the one D, it was bizarre how that that aliasing and that sort of line skipping that you see a little bit on five D. Man, it was like really prominent at sixty. You know, when you go down to seven twenty p, and then obviously you upscale it to. 1080 Isn't it ironic that you're talking about going to the 1D, which is a camera that is almost without parallel in terms of... In terms of stills. Yeah. Sure. And you're talking about it being such a step down, but obviously only because it's running in that 720p mode. If it was running in 1920 by 1080 mode, mm. it would be, what, presumably equivalent to the 5D, if not yeah. because of low light. Yeah. I mean, it's slightly smaller chip. It's like 1.2, 1.3 crop. So it's, it's halfway. But I'm interested to well, okay, see how so, it compares to So you're to in the room 60D. and you're about to walk out the door and you're going to shoot one of your C-pools and there's a 1D there and a 5D there on the desk and they're both yours and you have any lens you like on them. Which one are you picking up? I just can only take one, eh? Right. Mm. Uh, 5D and 30 mm. frames. And then just overcrank it a little bit. Huh. The 50, it was so nice to see 50 and 60 frames footage intercut for a change. Just that, you know... That the beautiful. It's only fifty or sixty frames, but man, it's you such mean fifty a or sixty frames per second? second yeah, at yeah. Twenty-four. Uh, we shot at fifty yeah. or sixty to obviously then yeah. um, um, conform back to um, to twenty-five, twenty-four. So, but ah, oh, it's so nice. So it's for the so price, lovely. you're getting nothing as a filmmaker. 
yeah. out of the 1D over yeah. the 5D. Now, obviously, for stills photography, it'd be a completely different ballgame. Mm. But um, I know Frank keeps looking over at mine with the 50. When, when he was shooting 20, you know, he'd look at his with the 50 mil and mine with the 50, and he'd be going, oh, mm, there is a difference. So, so <laughs> that's a 51.2, I presume. Uh, he has a whole set of ZEs, uh, mm-hmm. Zeiss ZEs. Uh, so they're, I think they're like 2 or mm-hmm. 1.4s or so, 51.4 and like 85.2s and things. So so not wildly faster, but uh, just and, slightly and different. And what other kit was on your camera? Uh, we both had small HD, both had our LCDs on actually. It was the first time I'd used that monitor really out in in anger used it in bright sun with no hood and no no hood i was just astounded with that that uh and i'm sure it's the same with the marshall that contour the um peaking rather the peaking focus oh man it's just like shooting fish in a barrel it was just so easy to spot focus handheld in bright sun uh 50 mil wide open just to be able to literally to entirely pick where you are with the focus i was just and i handheld the thing you know all you know five for five hours and i was very very happy the battery i only changed the battery once i only had one 5d battery on the back and it you know lasted me for 90 percent of that time how are your non-canon batteries running you're <laughs> running excellently okay, thank good. you very much i've had no problems with those and i've not heard from anything anybody from any other people who followed my lead and then also ordered some thank you very much okay well in other news uh something that's been Catching my attention a lot in the last, uh, I, d- I don't know if this had actually happened when we recorded last. That was happening when we recorded last. But um, David Fincher's The Social Network is out and uh, in cinemas in some countries. Yeah. So depending on where you're listening to this, this may or may not have been released. But uh, in parallel with that, American cinematographer hit it out of the ballpark with their um, article on the film. Uh, if you are somebody that likes, Which reminds American me, I must resubscribe. I've let my subscription not lapse. It just I never got a reminder email, and I started to realize, hang on. Can I, can I rat hole and say, for a start, that American Cinematographer has been, in my adult life, something that I have read, and so uh, right up there with Cinefix, I owe it a debt of gratitude. Absolutely, absolutely. I've got old, torn, thumbed over ones from really weird, obscure 80s films and still kept them. It's just outstanding. And secondly, I've got to say, it's not just that it's got good ads in it or that it's connected and wired or whatever else. It's just, okay, every once in a while, like, hmm, I don't know, every friggin' issue, they write a story like this one with friends like these uh, on uh, the social network. Though I've got to say, the story underneath that or after that, in my case, in the digital copy, it's underneath that. Uh, the zero-sum game on um, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, which I can't talk about because unlike the one that I do even talk about, it wasn't shot on the red, um, is, is also another great story. But the point is, they just really nail it in this. And so, as much as I'd like to say, um, you know, print is dead or whatever, man, while there's journalism like this at American Cinematographer, uh, you know, I'll get the digital copy and I'll get the print copy. I don't get the print copy anymore. No, I, I mean, it, got, it just got so... I mean, particularly over here in Australia, freighted over, it was just like crazy, stupid money, and I sort of stopped for a while. But the digital subscription is just like peanuts. It's just peanuts. It's so worthwhile. It's you know, For what you get, it is an amazing There are a magazine. lot of magazines that started getting thinner. This one hasn't got thinner. No, yeah, no. absolutely. You do not feel like that's happening at all, do you? It's uh, just sensational. Anyway, so Michael uh, Goldman, who I don't know, um, just a terrific writer, has written a terrific piece about uh, the film. But let's go back to the film itself, which was shot on the red camera. Now, this mm. is really interesting at many levels. It's an MX 4K, well, actually it's 4.5K it was shot. 
um, film. And it's terrific because obviously we've had The Knowing before, but that wasn't MX. Um, yep. But also it's Fincher. And so we've got a really great line here because you've got what he did on Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which was what, F23? We've got... Yes. Yes, so, and some 35. Was it... Mm, not F35? Not F35. It was... Uh, I thought it was F23. Uh, Mm. And some, we obviously had Viper on. Viper um, wasn't it? No, no, the Viper was on Zodiac. No, Viper was Zodiac. That's right. Yep. F twenty three on Benjamin Button, mm-hmm. and uh, now we've got the Social Network on Red. So, so right there is a filmmaker that, quite frankly, we we adore, uh, producing really really good work, but visually spectacular work. Um, and it's a great chance to see what uh, he could do with the camera. Now, uh, there are people like Soddenberg who does terrific work as well, but. We've seen less range of cameras. This is like um, uh, a, just a brilliant chance to see a, a great filmmaker who obviously is producing proper big Hollywood films. Yeah. Um, I, I take nothing away from someone that's working on an independent film, but obviously a film like this, even though it wasn't a huge budget, is um, you know, 50 mil, and that's definitely enough to, to do things properly. So it's a little bit of Zodiac in so much as that it's a bit of a slightly um, period um, a bit more sort of reality-based thing. This is not a... Seven years ago reality, <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. Um, though what's interesting about this, and, and I, I would love to be able to see um, past this, is that as with uh, Zodiac, they did this noise-grain reduction sweep at um, uh, Reliance MediaWorks, Larry Digital, mm-hmm. and I believe it's the same company that did Zodiac, and the work they did on Zodiac made the Zodiac uh, Viper footage look a lot better oh, yeah, than it, it otherwise would have. Yeah, absolutely. So it seriously contributed to the film. I think it was like a six-figure number that was spent on it. It wasn't like cheap, but it was, uh, you know, hats off to the Larry Digital guys for doing such great uh, work. I don't know. That's not going to so affect the dynamic noise, range. Sorry, then is it a noise grain run yeah. on, on this with MX? They did uh, admittedly, the MX. early build or early MX I don't, firmware, uh, pre-release firmware. For yeah, some, I don't some of that. think we saw a massive change in no. the noise characteristics or anything else on the MX between the early release. And we had the early releases. A little, yeah, a tiny bit. But tiny bit, not, but not. No. So, so this is to put grain in? <laughs> well, no, no, it's a, it's a process for... I think cleaning up. It's not a grainy looking film. It's a, no. but it's a, it's a nice film. It has low light capabilities. And I spoke to some of the over an FX guide. There's a story on the, um, on the film. And we spoke to some of them. They were saying that the four and a half K files were almost too sharp, um, but they loved having that resolution. And also they were amazed at how much better the performance was in the blacks from their point of view versus the uh, M sensor. These mm-hmm. are the guys over at Lola that do yep. a lot of them. So do a lot of the sort of. If you're interested in the effects, makeup. check that out. There's also a review of the film at uh, the VFX show, but we're not going to discuss it much other than saying I think it's a really significant thing for this film to be out. I did want to flag it's how... It's a nice natural look by the look of it. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's just a reasonably, just a nice, like, you know, like that Zodiac had a slightly, had a nice natural, I think reasonably Zodiac was natural a bit look. Poppier. It, it was a deliberately poppier because of that 70s kind of vibe. Mm, mm. Um, but uh, as mentioned in the American Cinematographer article, um, Red uh, got heavily involved to the point that the DI process was done at Red Studios on stage four Excellent. on their huge, uh, you know, 20 foot by 40 foot um, yeah, 4K. 4K projector. Mm. And also hats off to the guys, we mentioned this over the VFX show, um, uh, Light Iron Digital, who uh, graded it on the, their Pablo um, Neon, which is in a box. And Jason Diamond, who you know, yep. uh, visited Red Studios at least twice while the film was there. So he, was a, he didn't watch the footage, but he was aware of like, the setup they had with mm. the Pablo in a box. Uh, so it's very... Because you know, the Light Iron Digital guys are very much about getting post on set and very flexible. And I, look, I think Light Iron doing great work. Um, I think they're also 
contributed on the workflow of um, uh, Pirates. I don't know if they were the DI on that, but I know they were working on the workflow of it. And yeah, so they're doing great work. Pirates um, 4. That's yeah, the new one now. that's yeah. on red. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was great. But one thing that I didn't know until I read the American Photographer article, because I've been focused, I guess, on the visual effects of it, mm. is that, you know, they built two special red ones in um, uh, super lightweight... Um, uh, I'm going to say Kevlar, but I think it was like right. like that. So they could take it in the rowing scenes uh, in um, really? in the boats. Yeah, so they were like these super white, special, lightweight, lightweight shells. specially built reds. Strip away the um, alloy, aluminium housing and go with yeah. carbon fibre. Yeah, I see that's those. it, carbon fibre, yeah. So there were two awesome. carbon fibre reds built Interesting. by reds, specifically for Fincher, for this film, because... As anyone that knows anything about rowing would know, you can't overweight those boats because right. they are super uh, finely tuned for rowing and it would just completely throw it off. Really? The, the weight... Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, oh. uh, yeah, totally. They're very... Um, the tolerances on a, on a proper uh, sculling eight is very fine and mm. only that, but they only last a couple of seasons, if that. You know, only yeah. have one season for a, a premier boat. Like the Harvard, I don't know for a fact, but I know at my school the Harvard um, type first first eight would uh would only use one boat per season if, if that maybe a couple of boats per season so yeah they're really um really good you're grinning finally <laughs> what oh it's just did you never row no not really i had a rowing machine yeah mm. i went to a that military was... academy so it was compulsory to do those sorts of things it was okay. seemed to be character building Anyway, um, it's pretty interesting that there are two of these floating around. I'd love to um, see those. And I wonder whether anyone else would have a request to, to, uh, for special custom-built reds like that. It's, um, it's an interesting thought that they would, uh, of course, with Epic. I guess red own those. I've never seen them out in the wild or heard about them. Yeah. If you know anything about the special carbon fibre, I want to see a picture. They look, they look awesome. Well, I carbon fibre. Michael Goldman knows do. all about it, so there you go. Yeah, and obviously, uh, one obviously uh, cannot go without mentioning credit to the DP of that uh, Jeff Cronenworth, uh, awesome DP who's done a lot of work with Fincher in the past. Actually, uh, he was, um, I think he was, he shot second unit on the game. And he was additional camera camera operator on on seven and stuff. So he's uh, no 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 stranger to working with um, um, David Fincher. And also he's the son of late of the late Jordan Cronenworth, who shot Blade Runner. Oh, Blade Runner, yeah. Yes. So that's uh, awesome. Genius. Very well. Well, oh, exactly. Yeah. Genetics really, of play. Really, uh, really well respected. It must must be terrific to grow up in an environment um, where you've got that kind of you know, uh, family business of uh, mm. of that kind of level of skill because, yeah, you'd be immersed in it for such a, for a young age. Um, mm. They shot this film primarily on the uh, the CF cards and um, I thought it was interesting. And they got a special build, apparently, that let them go up to 36 frames per second still being inside uh, Red Code 42. Right. And it was shot 2 to 1 at, mm. uh, uh, you know, for obviously final... Right, 4.5K, 2 to 1. So excellent. Well, it's good to see. Uh, I mean, I guess it was only a matter of time till it happened. To obviously, Fincher evolved from uh, shooting, you know, working his way through the cameras up to up to Red One, and I guess obviously next thing will be beyond there. I've got to tell you, Jason, having seen the film, the visual effects are spectacular because you don't even know that they're there. I mean, you could easily walk out of this film and think there were like four visual effects, not like a thousand, right? Because um, so that is the shot count, isn't it? A thousand. Oh yeah, but a lot of the shot count gets put up well the twins are the big visual effect thing that that lola did but there's some great um what looks like shift and tilt lens stuff happening on a cambridge rowing scene when they're in uh england 
uh, rowing um, for America against, uh, I'm going to say, Cambridge. Um, and um, the Boston crew is obviously in England. At that point in the story, that's really interesting because they discover that Facebook's moved to, to Europe. Um, it's a very stylized piece. I think it's magnificent cinematography. I mean, it really is interesting to see that diorama effect that um, has been used almost as a gag. All right, the um, time-lapse uh, shift and tilt. Well, well not, not, not necessarily time-lapse, but no, just shift just, and tilt yeah. from up high angle. But it's not done in lens. It's done in post, in post. by A52, Area 52. And um, they do a terrific job. It looks really, really good. Yeah. Um, but I, it was a nice stylized piece. And so the cinematography is both very natural. It's also very... Uh, um, Appropriate, I guess, is the way to describe it. Like, it's quite muted in many of the sections because, you know... Mm. And I've got to say, like, it would be... That's re- what he does. He's so good at using that the shooting style to suit the story and not just uh, a look for look's sake like other people do. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't... I mean, every Fincher film is like a, a you know, like a present that only a finite number they're going to be given to us in our lifetime. So um, that and an Oliver Stone film, for that matter, of... Um, mm. Super happy, but yeah, true. Um, yeah, no, I thought the red one held up really, really well. Um, MX, obviously, this is uh, the same sensor that's going to be in the Epic, so that's good. Um, the technical people behind the scenes seem to be responding to it really well, um, both on and off the record. So there was no sort of, you know, oh yeah, it was great, but if you speak to some people behind the scenes, wink, wink, nod, nod, we had heaps of problems with it. I didn't sure. get any of that at all, yeah. not, not any of it. It's uh, Everyone seems to be really, really impressed with where it's at and where it's performing. So that's all, all really good. And, I, you know, congratulations to the team at Red because obviously, um, as with The Knowing, which I think was a really significant uh, film for the M-Sensor, this is a really significant film for the MX-Sensor. Uh, that is uh, coming out here, at least Oz, in 28th of October, so not far away in a week, another uh, couple of weeks uh, for Australia. Obviously, it's pretty much out most of the world now, I think. Is it? I, don't, I, I know it's out Maybe not UK. Out for a week or so. But, um, I've got to say, if you go to the newsstand... Don't be put off by the cover shot of American Cinematographer because as much as I've praised it, looks daggy, worst cover it? shot ever. That's the uh, rad cover shot for American Cinematographer. And I'm wondering if it's because they were deliberately trying to make it look dorky make and dull. It look, um, but make it looked so seven years ago. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's as if somebody has picked up American Cinematographer from... It looks like shots I did in tech. 17 years ago. It's <laughs> like what? shots I did in college. <laughs> Yes. Lighting, lighting 101. I would say that that is no uh, reflection of the film cinematography no, no. or the quality of the article in American Cinematographer. Mm. Um, so, American Cinematographer, get it. Right. Other news? Other news. Huge red news. Uh, red Cine X build 339 or 339 is out. Do we know what the deal is here? There's not an awful lot of stuff. Again, little, little, little fixes. Um, Mike? I have not... Um, Discussed. Uh, well, I would, except for, honestly, I haven't uh, been using it. We were shooting... We've been shooting with Red the last few days. We've been shooting uh, 2K and uh, and full 4K. Mm. But I haven't felt the uh, need to go up to this build uh, for processing in Red Cine X. And uh, I will absolutely do it. But uh, we haven't had... This is not like there's a huge bug in the previous version that this version fixed. This is more stuff in Redline and stuff, which is great if you're processing large stuff in a workflow environment. I'm just not doing that at the moment. So uh, we're keeping our stuff static while we uh, film and produce. Though I will say that um, that 
I love the fact that they, you know, do keep updating the software and stuff. Avid 1080p 25 frames per second mode has been added. Yeah, but you I see... Know. Is that uh, just an export? Yeah, I'm not really... Mm, don't know. I, I don't know it's that much. I think you were being slightly sarcastic when you said it was big news. Uh, just, a, yeah, slightly. But in the same token, there was a EOS movie plug-in for Final Cut Pro. Also, and kind again, of don't ask me what the op- <laughs> don't ask me what the, the upgrade is for there. But yeah, version one point one. Interesting, you had to sort of dig around the net a little bit to uh, find this because they didn't really make much of a big song and dance about the update of this. Uh, maybe there's a reason why. Maybe there's not much of an update at all. But uh, if you go to uh, software.canon-europe.com, you can uh, search through the pull downs to try and find that. Um, and uh, yeah, download it and just best to have the best update one. I, the only thing I find with it is that it doesn't, it really still likes that file structure. It likes to see the clips on a card in this folder, in that bin, in the EOS 5.5, whatever it is folder. It really, it doesn't sort of immediately play well with stuff if you've copied off the clips onto another drive. If you've copied them off in their original sort of, if you keep their file structure exactly as they were on the card, it's a little bit happier. But it's great for just grabbing stuff off the card and immediately seeing it on your desktop on a card. But I kind of like to copy stuff off before I even go anywhere near anything trying to encode it in case something gets sort of corrupted on the way through. So um, they've still sort of stuck to that little, little tiny glitch, but uh, I'm sure there's, uh, I'm sure I just haven't dug deep enough to know the workaround for that yet. Um, the, this is not, I guess this is red news because it's really sort of pissing me off because I just did an entire interview yesterday and not as pissing, pissed off as uh, other people that may be involved in this. Uh, Red Bull, the Stratos program, which I spoke, you know, interviewed just last episode as now on completely on hold, sitting on the shelf, the the entire project. And everyone involved uh, what is sitting on the bench. Uh, apparently, a guy, um, Mr. Hogan, uh, apparently approached Red Bull, so he says, two, three years ago with the whole idea and the whole concept. And Red Bull basically said, well, uh, thanks, but no thanks. And then, obviously, later on, they came up, they started to put the whole thing together. So, obviously, there's a little bit of a legal um, wrangle going on at the moment, and they're being sued for um, multiple millions of dollars. Um, by this guy in the California courts. So at the moment, it's... uh, I don't think it's canned. I think it's dead. It's just on hold for the moment. Um, So you're saying it is canned? I don't think it's canned. I think there's just so much work has gone and done with this project so far. So much water under the bridge for getting this stuff happening that uh, I think... It's uh, it, it just it's you know almost point of no return. It's 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 almost more expensive. It's almost cheaper to pay out whatever the lawsuit is rather than lose the money they've spent so probably so far getting the the project to where it is. Anyway, I hope the I hope it uh, I hope it resurfaces because it uh, would be just incredibly awesome. I want to see it. So hopefully they'll they'll sort that stuff out. But uh, clearly something's up there. So. Okay. Um, also in news, you had uh, in our in our research notes the uh, the Marvin. Uh, yeah. Look, I haven't dug too much deeply on into this sort of thing, but it seems uh, quite interesting and quite expensive. Well, funny you should ask, because I actually saw it in Europe. <laughs> okay. Um, you, right. I, I don't think you I knew this. Thought I no, I, I didn't. I, in all of your. But we will uh, put some stuff in the show notes. Excellent. I I didn't cover it out of Europe. Um, Precisely for the photo that we're going to put in the um, show notes, which is to say, 
Talk about a loom of cables <laughs> coming out of the back of this thing. I this, was, it's like, so self-contained, Mike. Look on the picture yeah, on the website side, of yeah. okay, Marvin but, Technologies. But uh, uh, knowing us as you guys do, Red Center wouldn't actually talk <coughs> about something based on the press release alone. And sure. We would just skip it. Oh, so, no, of course not. That's so joking aside, yeah, it looks good in the press release. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just simply saying that, yes, the press release makes it all look like, yes, you've got one contained thing that you put on your shoulder and walk around and it would all be... Um, you know, a breeze. We'll dig a little deeper for the next episode. I think we'll speak to uh, the guys at marvintech.com about, well, let's, let's just back up a little bit to, to discuss what Marvin actually is. Theoretically, it's an all-in-one. I not have to do that. Oh, sorry. Oh, Let, so let's, 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 let's sort of I've step back it. a little bit and talk about Marvin as it is. I, I've Mike. actually seen it. Okay. Okay. I haven't used it in, in earnest, but hey. Okay. I thought I would have looked at that wiring and just walked away. Well, yeah, and you wouldn't be wrong. Um, okay, so look, here's the thing. It's a, the idea is that you want to have a station that will do pretty much everything in terms of data copying to an Intel RAID, verifying the files, um, even LTO uh, backups. And all of this would be some kind of pretty much automated process that would allow you, not just on RED, but on you know P2 data or whatever else, to be able to come up, shoot, and move forward and go. And the idea is that if you look at the press release, there's mm. like a laptop and a... And it, that's all you've got. And then this box of tricks in a bag and it's thrown on your shoulder and there you go. Now, <clears throat> to a certain extent, that's true. Um, the reality, though, is that this is like a, like a lot of this stuff is kind of wide up. Now, it probably has changed since I saw it at IBC. So I'm totally open to mm. doing what you say and speaking to the guys. Um, but a lot of this stuff is not one. It's not like Apple has developed a, a product where they've incorporated a lot of features inside one housing. It's like they've brought together a bunch of technologies inside one housing, but they're all sort of separate components. And so a lot of these components are wired um, together, and so yeah. you get these um, horrendous looms of, of cabling. Now, they've tried to simplify that, and the one that I saw, actually, I do recall now, um, somebody even may have said to me when I laughed about it at, at a coffee break that they were going to tidy this up tremendously, and so I'm sure that they have. But nevertheless, um, it would be wrong to assume that it's like a PC where somebody's kind of built a new fully contained everything it's well, put it this, this way. is what i'd imagine this is plug yeah. it into ac put cf cards or drives well, on it it backs yeah, it up that's true copies if it, anything goes bit, wrong LTOs in setting it, it up you've got to pull it apart and it would just be um, and put it this way if you look at a photo of a red one it has no cables if you look at a red one on set of anyone's production it has yeah. cables <laughs> just a few so i think that that's all we're talking about i just say that because i don't think there's anything wrong with the marvin but i'm I'm personally cynical that um, this approach has legs because I think everybody tends to build these things custom and I don't, I don't know what the IP is other than the automated scripting processes and stuff for checking yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And if you were hardcore enough to want this, you'd probably be hardcore enough that you would be able to write your own scripting stuff. Because, yeah, I mean, would you pay, if there was an all-in-one thing literally like this, I mean, now who are you talking to? Though this is the critical thing, because if you're, I'm a, talking, well, I'm talking to you, who me, also me, would, 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 yeah, who well, who would well. But so we'd build our own, because that's my point. You see, like if you're hardcore enough to want a LTO onset multiple verifying thing, mm -hmm. um, and that there are some new products out there that this doesn't include. Um, there's a there's a box which we're going to talk about uh, in an, an upcoming show where you feed it, well, it basically plugs in between your laptop yep. and your drives and makes all your drives look like OneDrive. Yep. And so you copy the file on your desktop to a folder mm -hmm. and it simultaneously triple records that to triple media. 
Kind because of like a dry bow sort of thing. No, 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 like no, 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 absolutely not. It's like I want to have three copies of this data. Yes. So I copy it once to a folder, and then it automatically it, does that operation three times to three separate drives. So yes, it could be it's going not sharing the data. It is tripling it. It's it's a triplicator. Yeah. Yes, but it doesn't sit like three drives where you've got to drag, drag, and drag. No, exactly. Yeah. So you make one copy of everything that you're doing, and actually behind the scenes, it happily makes three mm-hmm. completely independent. I can unplug one and plug another one in s- copies of the data, sure. as opposed to a RAID, which is the plus for this though, and this mythical box which I have in my brain, which I still one day would be great to have built, is. A plug-and-play, no laptops. You pull it out, you open the lid on the Pelican case, and that's where you shove your drive. You know, it's like Ghostbusters. When light is green, the trap is clean. You know, plug it in, hit yeah, go, so and it is- says, yep, go for it. It is okay to reuse this drive. Okay, so I wouldn't buy this because I'd build my own and I'd use a triplicator because that's the thing that I'm into and I'm like geeky and techie. If you're not geeky and techie like like someone maybe Film who's sets a director. don't have to be this okay, sort of but if of let's say you're not that then are thing. you going to go and spend what is what 12,000 euros or something yeah, like 6 17,000 US dollars I mean I just I don't see you going to do it right No 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 I'm if, but if it, if it was cheaper right and if it was no. literally in a small pelican case where literally you plugged in your driver had the socket for a red driver whatever or and slots for cfs if you were doing uh yeah but people have come out with shit like that and they don't have they, though? They, yeah but sure they have they've got those like handheld units yeah yeah but, yeah, oh, yeah i know yeah, i know deep your deep love of those yeah yeah well exactly i mean like they're not it's not a because this is the problem it's like i imagine this is okay so this is why i think not everyone wants to set up, you know, IT village on their set. But I'm the, totally there. I'm totally kitchen. there on you. What I'm saying, though, is that people don't work in this world. Like, somebody would read this press release and go, well, I can imagine that somebody else would want this. I'm like, okay, you show me the somebody else and I'd like to talk to them. Because everybody's going to say, this isn't for me, it's for somebody else. But I imagine somebody else would really like this. And I'm Not like, for this money. I who, reckon is, who is the somebody else that would like it? Because the person that would really like this is going to build their own. And they're going to have their own whims and... Something, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. But just there's this... In this sort of rental market, right, where you've got to shoot tomorrow on a beach, right, and you don't want to have IT village, you just want to rent the data droid thing, right, which is a pelican case, lift the lid, it's, you know, you just got to power it, put the, plug and, your and drive feel, in, And you'd hit feel button. comfortable doing that. You'd feel safe. You'd be like, I feel good about this. If it says... If it says green, good to go, and you the trap is clean. well, it would have to. It would have to. If it, it said that, have to, it, it would have to be a trustworthy thing. Yeah, yeah, but, but it, does it have? Do you have to plug in five laptops to be able to it tell that it's made trust- by Red, and was the deemed? You know, I think you'd be like, oh, I don't know this thing, and I don't know how to use it, and it's just it says that it's okay, but is it really okay? I don't know. Let's just uh, make it up to my laptop anyway, because I know what I'm doing with my laptop. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, That's you're thinking. not going to use it because it's, it's – and then I'm not going to use it, so who's going to use it? I know. Well, I'm, if, 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 it may, if it worked, I'm, yeah, I would it, happily it, see okay, it on If somebody set. works for Darv- Marvin Technologies and wants to explain to us exactly why this is a successful product and why it doesn't have the cables you, that I saw at it, IBC, yeah. I'm happy to talk to them. Yeah, that would be terrific. I just no. think in principle, it's like – well, that's, what I, that's why I hate podcasts that only sit on the press release, right? Because it's always like, oh, this looks really good. And then you say, well, if you use it, well, no, I wouldn't use it, but I just think it looks good based on the press release. It's like, well, f- that. And that's why it's on the list for us to. Well, no, because, throw it up because in the we air do have an opinion about it, right? Because of sense. No, no, yeah, I'm well, okay I certainly it. have an opinion on it for, an for the same price as a freaking red one. 
Well, yeah. This is my point, though. Like, I mean, I would have a laptop. I could build that thing, and I have no idea. IT, you know, I could literally just right, shop I, through a catalogue for 10 okay. minutes and put all the bits in a, in a four-unit rack in a road case, thing, yeah. road case. I've not seen anyone, because everyone, ha- it's <clears> like <throat> saying, okay, it's like saying that I would have an off-the-shelf kitchen. It's like, well, no, because you want to design your own kitchen, and if you have sure. a commercial kitchen, then even then it's not standardised. So, yeah. anyway. But if your kitchen literally would have had a door and you stood at the doorway said, and said, Put food I want here. beef bourguignon and bing, and out it came. You would, you would go to a vending <laughs> you, you machine to get your beef. You wouldn't give a shit whether yeah, that you had would, you angled. Even, oh, you, wouldn't even, like, you wouldn't even go to that place. If that existed, you would not even eat there. You'd be like, that's like a vending machine. I'm not going to eat at a vending machine. God, <laughs> but if it made it, no, you just shut up. <laughs> shut up. Data isn't Stop like, talking. I don't want to hear any more words out of your mouth over that product. Oh, you're just outrageously making this crap up to provoke me. Okay. Honestly, it's not. There's no Michelin hat system for data. Okay. Ah. There's no. Anyway, moving on. God, it's just like you know. Can I use? Is it copied? Can I use the thing again? Great. Best still, just buy more, <laughs> rent more drives. I am begging you. Anyway, I am okay, begging you on. to stop talking so, about this. Next thing in the news. Jesus. I'll give you all the money in my pocket. To just um, go on to PL Mouse. Okay. Yep. Fine. Well, again, not something we haven't researched. <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, the, uh, this is a new PL mount for, uh, I'm sure you've all seen it on the blogs, Zuno.tv, Z-U-N-O-W.tv. Sounds Russian or something, but I think it's actually Japanese. A PL mount that does not require you to entirely rip out the whole mirror box of your 5D and has a, you know, a vaguely larger range for of... For putting uh, on an SLR. For putting on an SLR. Yeah, to put a PL change. mount on your SLR yeah. without having to rip the thing apart and still keep your... Um, Warranty, mind you, it's three thousand dollars. Because it has optics in it, right? It is an optical mount. What I'm yet to find out is what the light loss is for that um, uh, system. If there's, if it's got glass in it, I presume there's some light loss somewhere along the way. Yeah, there will be light loss. I don't know that it has to be he- that heavy. No, it doesn't need to be very, that heavy. Um, maximum. Uh, but more to the point was is in terms of aperture, uh, in terms of um, usable space. Like we're not, are we picking up? Any reduction in what's going on the sensor? Excellent question. Because okay, moving on. The, well, no, because it mentions the Canon 7D, right, as used as well. Yeah. But the cropping will... I mean, this is designed for I, 5D. I just hope Presuming that, that it projects it back onto the lens at the same without any crop factor in it. Otherwise, it would be like just, you know, just chucking in the bin, really. Yeah. There should be no crop factor within it. It's probably just almost, well, but, it's almost mean, like acting like a... Um, okay. Uh, relay system, but you don't get the the full sensor. Okay, we stick money here. You don't get yeah. the full sensor on the five D in HD because clearly it's the wrong aspect ratio to start so with. So it has to get some mostly it left to right. Yeah, exactly. Cop top and bottom. Yeah, yeah. Top it's numbers. a different image circle. So this would make sense if this was designed for PL mount lenses for vision. For vision, that it would match and it has to match the nineteen twenty by ten eighty footprint. It just because is, a lot that, of lenses you're putting on, mm, that's true. There's going to be some. Hmm. Well, there's a list on Zuno's uh, website of the lenses that they put on there and have had success with, and some of them are like 12 mil Cook S four eyes, 12 mil Optimo, 15 to 40s. So whether that's just 7D or 5D, I'm yet to find out. Is but, it uh, is it me? I'm trying to get my hands on one of these. If you were flicking through camera porn, are you more likely to stop on the page that has the PL mount lens on the 5D? Or the Canon lens on the Epic. 
Uh, you don't you don't read porn in, in magazine <laughs> format. Okay, web pages of of camera porn. Which which URL are you going to? Um, hmm. Well, both. Really? Okay. I'm stopping. They're both on. interesting for different reasons. I'm going to the the Canon lens on an Epic. Anyway, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm sure. I agree. But uh, this mount is available now. Uh, where, where, <laughs> Yes, and point your taken. epic, my friend, just checking around the desk. It's just for, it's uh, for the first time ever no, that uh, I can't actually see it on the desk yes. here. So. I think, by definition, camera porn is fantasy. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Next, <laughs> we haven't done it. I think that's it, news-wise. Uh, yes. Well, let me let me set up now then for the red room uh, with Ed Moore because I'm going to do a brief plug. We don't run ads on this show, though we might. <laughs> but right now we don't. But I am going to say that obviously the show is is, is in part uh, connected with FX PhD, the sister site of FX Guide, and and over at FX uh, PhD to do a plug, we have some new courses starting. And I'm going to unreservedly say you are that entirely allowed. Am I to, okay, to plug? I'm going to say that there are some interesting ones that might be of interest to people in a red center audience. Um, and the first of those, actually, Jace, you can comment on because you've actually seen it. The first class is coming out this week, and that's a result for Mac. Yeah. Now, I thought it was just fantastic. I mean, obviously, we saw it in uh, at NAB, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, just fantastic to see the huge grading deck and uh, to see this functionality, which, you know, primarily up until that point has been, you know, I've been paying about $2,000, an hour uh, to have obviously an expert run for me. Really? You know, is, is that the going rate right of a DaVinci? It's like eighteen hundred. Be it's like yeah, multiple th- multiple. Yeah, I thought it was thousand, like a thousand an hour. Yeah, well, I guess it depends whose room Who's it was deals, at the time. Yeah, yeah. okay, I mean, that's good know, to know. People, um, you know, that's good grader is uh, you know is, is an expensive. Um, it's interesting though, isn't paycheck. it? Because it's 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 the good grader, and then what does the grader choose to use? Yeah. And many graders, not all of them, obviously, but many choose the Resolve. Obviously, the base light's also really, really good and very, very yeah. popular. Um, but it is interesting that being able to get that Resolve on a Mac, um, it's it's pretty uh, game changing, actually. Mm. And what I mean, I mean, I'm keen to play with it and uh, get my hands on it to see, you know, how well it runs, how fast mm-hmm. is it, you know, how how much is, is that processing time going to be a real you know, um, time tunnel. It's a little fussy on what cards and stuff you can, mm-hmm. for performance, you don't want to be just, you know, uh, doing anything. Yep. But, um, I mean, we've got it running on a laptop as much as we've got it running on a, on a tower. But okay. nevertheless, uh, if you are setting it up to use it for grading a film, I'd want to pay attention to the hardware before I bought it, knowing that I was going to use Resolve on Mac. Yeah. Um, okay. But that's only one course. The yep. other one that I, there's actually three. I think we should flag for people listening to this uh, podcast. The other one is, of course, Storm. So we know that Storm is going into public beta on the first of November. Yeah. But we're already doing uh, training on it over at FX PhD. Now we have a very close relationship with the Foundry and obviously with Red and everybody else, and everyone's really happy for us to be doing Storm training because in a week or so, when it goes into public beta, you'll be able to download it and then. For that period up until the end of the year, when our, when that course is running for, um, you'll be able to use it for free, and of course train on it and use it for doing R three D work. Now, Storm is only aimed at doing R three D work. Um, it will at some point in the future move to other things such as SLRs, but right now it's a. So if you're grading for SLR, you'd be on a Resolve on Mac. If you're doing R three Ds, it's more than just a grading platform. It's a whole kind of workflow thing on yeah. Storm. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, the, how the the grading part is only a. You, you can't really say Storm is a grading tool. Yeah, it will be. Well, okay, good, excellent. Um, excellent. It doesn't have the chops that Resolve does because Resolve is an established product. Sure, that is now on Mac versus Storm, which is a new product, which happens to be on Mac, but is a new product that is. Not even in beta yet. So but Storm is a. Stuff. I mean, but um, Resolve is a. You know, completely different. It's a different learning curve. Learning yeah. curve. Completely different uh, beast and much more complicated. Though, if you were in the effects community or the post community, Storm is astonishingly interesting. Not least of which is it's so darn cheap. Mm, yeah. I mean, well, it's well, free obviously in beta, but <laughs> it's entirely cheap. Even when it's being sold, it's going to be like three hundred fifty bucks US or something. I mean, it's like that kind of number. Yeah. So that's going to go on set a lot. Yeah, I mean, Storm will be on set. It'll be on every one of our bits of kit going on set. Yeah. So obviously, uh, so and that's uh, Jim Gadildick is uh, taking that course. Who we all know is a friend to a Red Center. Um, now the other one that uh, leads us into our red room this uh, week with Ed Moore is we're doing a scripted drama or a scripted comedy, um, scripted production of uh, stuff shooting with SLR because of course, as we discussed before, when I got back from London. We did the unscripted stuff with shooting wildlife and stuff, which was awesome, but yeah. nothing um, that allowed us to get into lighting and stuff. You're obviously not going to run in with a you know, 4K or a bounce light on a bear. You just shoot what you can get, and, and nor would you want to, right? Because you want it in its natural environment. Yeah. And but, you want to stay alive. And you want to stay alive. No face ripping off here. Mm. But um, the point of the scripted drama is that so many people are doing things like independent films, short films. We wanted to do something like that. We thought, wow, we could just and do a commercials normal. are going this way. This is entirely applicable to all of that oh, stuff totally. as well. And, and I will point out that Ed, who is, um, well, let's face it, a, a younger DOP, yep. um, is super talented and incredibly experienced in this part of the, the game. We chose to go with this production because the writing is so solid on this. It was written by Doug Naylor, who um, is co-founder or co-creator of Red Dwarf and also of... Um, uh, splitting image before that and so that I've got to tell you a lot of short films we get approached with a lot of people that say do you want to work on our short films mm. maybe you remember I mean, yeah well you know this was a script I think he worked on for like nine months or, or even a year so it's really tight script which is funny but also then we got to work with Ed who we really enjoyed and the other thing about it is it's a great range of environments we shot in um Interior, exterior, on the move, steady cam, on on sliders, but also we just shot lots of like in restaurants and cafes and small houses. Gorilla-ish, but using available light. No, no, I actually meant lit. Like the point is like now, of course, for you coming from your background as a both a really experienced camera department person and as a director of photography, you would walk into a restaurant and say, "Well, it's apparent to me how I would light this mm. but what we're doing in this one is saying okay well I want to light this for um, a two person drummer at a table and a third person's going to come up and sit down at it how am I going to light that given that I have the kind of environment you would have if you were shooting this SLR it's fairly likely that it's going to be lower budget not- and a very limited lighting package yeah exactly so it's not it's not just available light because that would be far more off what I consider this to be uh, the benefit of this course this course available is schedule. Much- yeah, well, this course is much more about, okay, well, I, I have some time because uh, it's a lower budget film and I've got a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit tight, but not like I can spend money to get around time. Yep. Yeah. So I want to be sensible, but it's not like whatever it takes, I can't be afforded to wait it for even 10 seconds. You know, in a major feature, even a major commercial for that matter, you spend a lot of money to make sure no one ever waits around. Mm. Um, 
and you want high quality production value, you want to get the best out of the SLRs, and you know there are some issues with the SLRs. What are they? Where are we going to, you know, how are we going to work around them? So if I was making a very professional short film, commercial, or anything like that where it's, it's tight writing, but, but there is like a bunch of dialogue, two characters or three or up to four characters, whatever, you know, having multiple dialogues, you know, how do I pull that off? And, and Ed's great at that. And I've got to tell you, even down to some of the lights, I mean, I thought I, I don't consider myself an, an ill-informed man, but uh, I was like, hey, what's this light? Hey, I haven't seen these before. And so much so that I got back here and tried to find the distributor, couldn't find them, and I've actually started ordering them in from the States. So, yeah, it's a good interview. Anyway, wow. this is um, Ed and I sitting down in London a couple of weeks ago, uh, just at the end of a long, long day shooting, Jace. So, uh, I apologize so if caveats. I... Well, I just sound a bit dead, and uh, <laughs> it's because uh, I'd already been to Amsterdam and back in like a 48-hour rush trip and then been shooting yeah. for two weeks. And then thrown on set. Well, welcome to uh, the Red Room. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Now, um, I'm just keen to get your impressions on uh, both this project that we've been working on, shooting here in the UK on SLRs, but also just uh, a digital cinematographer generally, because you've done a lot of digital cinematography from red to, uh, to all sorts of things. Yeah, I feel like I've just kind of... I, I, I sometimes wonder if I'll ever really shoot film. I shot some 16 mil years ago, and I think I'm just worried I may have missed it now. So everything I do now seems to be digital. I'd say maybe um, two thirds red and the third now 5D, like rapidly rising in percentage. So, in fact, uh, we are shooting 5D on this. Just to give us mm-hmm. a quick outline on this project. So, this is a really fun one. It's kind of a comedy drama pilot that we're doing uh, so independently, really, of broadcasters. I think broadcasters are potentially interested, but we're just kind of doing this um, uh, off our own backs. It's got a really, really good pedigree of uh, writer and director. Scripts are fantastic, um, and we're lucky to have some fantastic performers as well. So ideally, in a perfect world, um, it'd be a big, you know, normal sitcom. But it isn't. I mean, it's a, it's a, has its other benefits though. It has a lot of creative freedom, um, and it's a fun project. But you know, how much did you feel you needed to go for what I might call a commercial look? Because it's kind of actually important, isn't it? Mm, well, I think to shooting something that the the aim of which is to to get on TV, um, you don't want to kind of stray too far down the road of of shooting stuff for your showreel basically you know you kind of want a high key commercial look it is comedy you don't want to detract from that so that's kind of what we've tried to deliver but you know I think given the 5D or the red or just so much has changed in terms of uh, the look you can get with with lower powered lighting and equipment smaller crews than than perhaps was possible um, you know five or six years ago uh, I'm really pleased that we've got a kind of glossy look for low outcome now, something I want to talk about with you is, before we get back to this, is sure. uh, this whole idea of like a good script. Because, quite frankly, you and I have had this discussion before yeah. we uh, started recording. Um, and it is probably, what, our number one criticism. It, these days, it's not that you have bad, necessarily, cinematography. It's just that you tend to have a lot of really bad, not worth watching scripts being made. Or, in mm-hmm. fact, not even script at all. Just, you know, the Vimeo clip that looks yeah. cool but has no yeah. no start, middle or end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, the, the sort of route to market, if market means loads of people on Vimeo, is, is just so incredibly easy. But I think the thing with the, with the writing and directing is, is, um, is that 
you know, for me, um, as a young cinematographer, I've still been able to, like, your kind of learning curve is relatively steep because you're constantly shooting stuff, looking at it back, and, and then on to the next project, and you can work on a whole variety of projects. Whereas if you're a kind of writer-director, then how often do you actually get to exercise that muscle um, and actually write something, see it made, um, you know, change things, go on to the next one. So it is. I, I, it does take a while, I think, to get the writing up to a certain standard. And so, um, how did you sort of get in the industry? I mean, that's just the classic backstory. But I mean, how did sure. you come to be where you are today? Well, I started uh, in theatre lighting. I guess I worked in uh, a theatre in Cornwall for for sort of five or six years whilst I was at school. Did all kinds of the you know the roadie thing and and that whole kind of world. And then. Um, just before university, I worked in a lighting rental company in Leeds ProVision, and uh, that was great because started doing that was actual film lighting. So we were able to in between kind of uh, building out the trucks for Touch of Frost and Emmerdale and stuff like that. We'd be able to just play with all the lights and try different rigs and that kind of thing. Um, did a few bits of camera assisty work at the same time. Uh, then at university, uh, was doing a film and English course, but it was you know the film was very very non practical and I didn't really get on with that approach. So, uh, so a few friends and I started a production company, uh, kind of went that route instead of finishing university, and the rest is history really. And you you actually uh, got quite heavily into Steadicam before you um, went sure. more of sort of general. Um, how'd you find that? Uh, I love Steadicam. It's it's great. It's really nice. Um, it's it's a really nice way for me as a DOP actually to get onto other DOP sets and see other other bits and pieces. But um, yeah, I mean I, I I do bits and pieces of Steadicam. I would never consider myself sort of one of the you know the main operators, but definitely do. But it's it's a lovely job. It's um you know you can really add a lot um, to something, and it's. So what are the issues with an SLR on a Steadicam rig? Because you've used you know big weighted rigs um, with reds and stuff. Yeah. But I mean it's that exact opposite problem really isn't it it's not that it's sort of too heavy and it weighs you down yeah yeah it's not it, sort of heavy enough. no it's not heavy enough and you end up with with a situation in which you you know your gimbal is like basically the bottom of the steady and it's either ridiculously high and uh, even if it balances out and spin balances it's not particularly nice to operate it feels quite squirrely um so you know you can use some of the steady cams like the flyer and even the pilot that are designed for the the smaller cameras. I, I find that the trick to good Steadicam is is mass. And like when I started out um, in Steadicam, I'd watch shots from you know the West Wing. Go, how can I not even slightly, even with just hours of practice a day, get remotely close to that? Um, and then the first time I had to fly like a you know huge F nine hundred or something with you know all tricked out, and you realise that just mass helps everything. Um, and so with the DSLRs and the five D, you know, there's all kinds of endless apparently infinite amounts of rigs and accessories you can build them out with what i found works really well is um uh, is either having some sort of v-lock plate so you could be powering can, can you really like v-locks on these uh, yeah. <laughs> well i just think there's just so many accessories get on the back of them i mean there's a reason why you know the kind of sony digi vita form factor camera has lasted so long with all its different recording format versions and that's you know you stick one big battery on the back you've got various accessory power outputs you know everything is just oh the camera battery's dead let's change that whereas you can get to, into a situation with dslrs where it's changing the monitor battery changing the battery it's running accessories so uh i try and use a 
VLOC plate and split off that way. And that also adds a lot of mass, um, which for Steadicam is great. And you're running your monitor off that as well. What, what monitor yeah. are you using? Uh, I'm using the Marshall 7-inch, but I, I use uh, the SDI version, which I know you're not, not... Well, you're not a fan of the adapter box, right? Well, because when I do uh, button-on for, like, you know, coming up to speed, it yeah. takes noticeably longer to yeah, work yeah. its way through waking up, and then sometimes it can get the aspect ratio wrong. Sure. And for me... I don't need that monitor to work on anything else other than the SLR, yeah. so it's no, a No, I say so. So the reason I I got that one was, um, you know, it's like a thousand pounds, right? And and I didn't want to buy an HDMI version of the monitor, which I could only really use with that. I wanted to be able to use it with other cameras, which more typically would have SDI. So I got that and the Blackmagic converter box, and yeah, it works. It works great, but as you say, that it does have this delay. Uh, I'm sure it wouldn't happen on the 7D. I think it's a 5D thing because the um, signal drops from from 720 to, to SD and the Blackmagic seems to take a while to catch up. Um, so, yeah, it is a bit funny. But then getting to SDI means you can split off much more easily. It's much more resilient format for, for splits and distribution. Uh, and, and I wanted to be able to use stuff like... Um, you know, the IDX cam wave and the cube what's it thingy that's just come out. That looks that's over SDI as well, I believe. Um and, and that kind of stuff. So okay, so let's uh, assume for a second that you're on a job like this one, but you haven't started yet. Um what lenses do you own? What lenses do you like using? What lenses do you find yourself going to? In other words, on a you know, narrative drama or a comedy that's trying to look commercial and professional. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have really tried to not buy too much stuff. Um, I've ended up buying the 5D, but I mainly bought that for stills. And on the cinematography side, I always keep asking myself, I wonder if Roger Deakins ever owned a, you know, matte box. And <laughs> so this is probably not. And um, so uh what i've ended up with um that i own are the 24 to 70 and 70 to 200 zooms um which you know i'm sure aren't as optically perfect as as even the canon primes but uh they they work great for me certainly for the corporate stuff um then you know i have you know on shoots like this we've got access to a few more so on this shoot we've got the uh, zeiss ZE primes which um um, you know, if if they do test optically better, certainly and nicer to work with mechanically, and and you get your hard focus stops back and all that kind of stuff. So this is an indie production in the sense of you know a small lightweight crew, though doing you know proper multi-camera uh, comedy. Mm-hmm. What are the primary lights you're relying on? Given that it's a shoot without uh, a group or a gaffer for that matter yeah it's just me um and and uh, and you helping when i can press gang you in it's it's uh, the lighting is everything that i can fit in my car um so that's the main limiting factor um your car is not a van yeah my car is not a van my car is just a normal estate car with the seats folded down and some very or patient american would say a station wagon. a station wagon with some very patient mud flaps and rear suspension so so what is i mean in in that apart from i know a city cam rig um and which i couldn't even fit the flight case in so that's you know wrapped in towels and things okay so so what is the the lighting set up for a, a room for a two shot in this sort of uh, production uh, well, my I, you know my one my big light is uh, is a two and a half k HMI which I actually own but uh, paid five hundred quid for it's like a nineteen eighties version. Wait, 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 how much? Five hundred pounds. So, so, <laughs> so it's not exactly 
flicker free brand it, it's new nothing i mean it's it's it is a proper magnetic ballast uh so it weighs so quite heavy. it weighs an absolutely you know it's almost a two man lift um okay. the the ballast um but it's you know every um every dop needs a big light and i don't i don't work in um or, or rather I, I live in Birmingham. I work all over, and I mostly work around London, like everyone. But uh, when I do do stuff around Birmingham, there's no um, there's no big rental company around there, and it's really annoying if I'm doing some sort of music video or something simple, low budget, where sending vans down to Pinewood to collect kit to come back up isn't an option. It's nice to have a few bits and pieces. So, so I guess you're mainly bouncing that or scrimming it or something right like a yeah it's half k on a 5d yeah bouncing it off poly is obviously great i've got a six by six butterfly which um uh i've got a full silent grid for and a full black and uh so it gets gets through that quite a lot and um you know all the usual tricks of you know roll of white diffusion off a c-stand and but i have to say having worked with you and, and having great fun this last couple of weeks uh, <laughs> your favorite light is actually not that HMI. Well, you like the HMI, but that's not the light that I think is is central to your. Uh, yeah, I've now got obsessed with it. It wasn't. I've only. It's just that I've just got them, so I'm playing with them. But yeah, okay. it's well. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a China lantern, which is not new to anyone. But the uh, what is new are these kind of um, well, new to me. Um, the slightly more professional ways of um, rigging them called lantern locks, which in the UK you can get from NewYorkFilmGear.com. Um, which just you know they're about seventy or eighty quid, but they're just metal. You can actually there's a proper ceramic base. You can put a thousand watt lamp in there and clips onto a C stand much better. Um, and then you so just what use we're talking about is like a, a two or three foot you know classic yeah twenty four inch IKEA yeah, yeah. ball. Yeah, so like you know, one pound. I mean, like you know, buy ten if you buy one. But inside a bloody great light bulb yeah. attached to a quite solid ceramic thing. But otherwise, it looks a bit like uh, the Statue of Liberty without a uh, torch, without the uh, yeah, the curls, without the without the thing. I think, and but the advantage compared to say you know your conventional fitting, uh, domestic fitting that would have that, in which the bulb just dangles, is this holds the bulb exactly in the middle right um, so it holds the it holds the ball rather than the ball hanging yeah you can actually have the ball sort of at any angle you like yeah and it stays there yeah right. and, and they're just fantastic i mean they you, you, there's a um there's a more professional version the rental houses have which is the gem spring ball which, but is it it's you know exactly the same um thing with just a few more you know velcro skirting options and that kind of thing but you can because you can buy the 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 lampshades for for um you know pence you can just spray them black if you want to do a flag them off and that kind of stuff now you feed those through a sort of proper fader right yeah i I almost yeah i almost always use them with a yeah two and a half k inline dimmer because they're just you know a thousand watts all the way up is a bit much but um uh yeah and they're great i think one thing that i have noticed with them is they're not particularly sound apartment friendly certainly those thousand watt lamps when you dim, dim them right down you get a lot of ringing on them and you sometimes have to compromise and, on and i think also in fairness if you're getting technical about it as you go down the dimmer you're probably not holding exactly the same kelvin oh but yeah i mean not even slightly i think you know by the time you get right down it's it's massively you know probably i was being polite uh yeah I mean, it's but still bit... i mean they're not very expensive are they i mean you can afford sure. to have them and they sure. pack away really well yeah absolutely and let's face it hell of a lot lighter than your hmi well yeah they 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 don't weigh anything you can rig them i think you know the first day you're on the set your first experience of those was me using like three c stands 
hand arms in sequence to kind of boom one right over a, a table so it, so there was no stand in, in shot and uh, and you can do that with those safely and if you trash them it's no big deal and the other nice thing from a beauty lighting point of view is you get a nice circular eye light which is really attractive I have to say I could imagine seriously having like four of these in a kit like yeah. as a sensible kit uh, because they are so small and then yeah. some spare bulb uh, because obviously you know they could blow yeah um, and and how much actually power are they pulling in amps and stuff like it can i plug these into a normal wall yeah absolutely yeah i mean i mean in the uk a thousand watts so you know it's like three two sixty i think in a uk just so like a radiator or yeah, oh, yeah, it's it's hardly anything. Um, so it's absolutely fine. You, you can, I think this this is the um, the twenty four inch version with the the biggest screw mount fitting, which I've got the thousand watt lamp in. I think that they do do two sm- there's a medium and a small size, and I I haven't seen them, but I suspect that they take uh, that the lamp fitting is probably uh, slightly downrated because it would just be insane. To and and they're really pretty. I mean, that's the thing that struck me really pretty for the the women in the cast here because not only we're we getting that lovely area soft light but also you're getting this second advantage which is uh that classic highlight ping in the eyes yeah it's gorgeous and it's you know it's tungsten it looks great on skin tones um so you like tungsten on skin tones? i like i mean (laughs) skin tones look great in lots of different ways um people are interesting to photograph uh in general so it's yeah but i mean that is you know obviously a a well-trodden path but you know tungsten is lovely on it i think the other thing to say with them is it you know you, you bring these really close you know you bring them two feet away it's this gorgeous kind of soft light and you can even you know drape a bit of muslin around it and um and that whole kind of look um if you want it even softer um and if you do that you know you even you can extend the light source downwards and kind of make a longer thing if you if you're draping um fabric downwards but also that you, you know you always find yourself in shots where you, you've got especially on this low budget stuff where the lighting fits in your car um you've lit your your foreground you know really nicely and you just suddenly get this horrible huge dark expanse in the background and um in situations where you might find yourself bouncing a you know 2k off the ceiling sticking one of these in the background somewhere um gets you a much more um controllable light i say controllable it just it, it just seems a lot nicer to me than just bounced off the ceiling um and you can even rig it upside down and, and have the actual lamp itself in shot so we haven't got a grip but in terms of rigs and stuff you you have obviously got uh, you know a nice setup in terms of uh stuff around the camera to support it in you know, a red rock micro type stuff yeah but you've stuck the cameras in refrigerators on this shoot yeah stuck them on cars yeah they've well, been everywhere you you well i'm gonna lead you into this but uh, <laughs> you what do you think of the car rig that we've been using from uh, uh the film tools car rig yeah yeah I mean, just it's probably the best one i've seen i mean i think um uh, you know, clearly, if you're going to rig a like 435 on a sports car at 80 miles an hour, you're going to have some huge, great thing. But I mean, for for anything smaller, that's it. That thing just seems to be absolutely perfect. They've they've thought of everything. It's got all the kind of accessories you'd need. I was really impressed. We, we mounted that uh, facing into the the uh, you know two actors in the car, but also clouded on the roof for a, a sight gag. Um, talk to me about the the car mount going in in terms of uh, your experience getting that shot because obviously with oh, dare i say english overcast skies you do get a, a, a white screen on the windshield a bit sure well yeah i mean it's obviously a job for the polarizer and uh we had the fader nd on so which is you know two polarizers um so so that that helps um but with a 
you know, polarizers. Has anyone ever had? Oh, we can fix that moment with a, that problem with the polarizer, and it works perfectly exactly the way you were hoping. You know, it never does. It gets rid of a little bit. Um, so you know, you're, you're sort of angling around with the, with the polarizer to to cut out what you um, what you're hoping for. Um, I think the you know the other approach you can do is is to try and build something you know over the top of the uh, windscreen outer shot if you've got extra bits of C stand. So like a four by four flag I've done before that works quite nicely. Um, but it, it, I think if you if you can bear the slightly milkier look when the you know the car's reflecting the you know the sky and clouds even with the polarizer helping you out if you can just plan the route to go under you know trees you've got a much more natural looking way of of seeing through the the windscreen uh, so kind of dappled tree reflection it gives you a real sense of speed as well it's lovely you mentioned the uh, the fader nd there do you like using fader nds um yeah i do i, mean, I think variable faders uh, yeah i think they uh i mean they they make my light meter totally useless because you know you've got no idea what they're what they're set at um so that's kind of annoying but um uh, apart from that in an ideal world that was populated by you know laser camera assistants i would i would use proper ones in a map box and i'm sure they'd be better quality than the fader nd and it would be nice to be able to separate the act of polarization and um kind of neutral density but i mean i i could never you know i couldn't do a dslr shoot without them really really oh sure i mean yeah i mean unless you're in that situation where you've got tons and tons of stuff it's just perfect to be able to you know avoid your one thousandth of a second uh, shutter situations now now i must confess i know that you listen to the show so you That's know that, that my my <laughs> colleague uh, mr wingrove likes well uh, as he says what does that lens go to uh 1.4 gaffer <laughs> tapered at that but but you don't necessarily shoot oh i haven't been on this production uh, fully wide open at like one two one four and a I haven't no well I think for, I think I was scared as a child which, which wasn't that long of Jason <laughs> uh, I think I was scared of um, back in the day before the Reds came along and saved us from this back in the day certainly in the UK I mean the the Mini and Pro thirty five you know the lens adapter rigs ruled the earth and um, the, the the lenses that always seemed to come with those kits were you know super speeds like Mark threes or something and um, you know you would get excited about the Mark threes because they were you know one three or one four I can't remember and you'd put them at that stop but you know super speeds look awful at that you know they they really really improve noticeably at two or even two eight so I kind of you know <laughs> four yeah or four or just replace it with ultra primes um, but so the, the, I I kind of got. Um, you know, when I first realised that one of the first kind of proper shoots I was doing with with those types of lenses, you know, from then I, I you know, no lens performs brilliantly wide open except maybe you know S fives, you know, the absolute most expensive lenses. On 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 this shoot, it's not so much a case of um, of the lens is not performing perfectly optically. It's just that on the five D sensor with no kind of you, you know great setup for focus pulling, I just think it's insane to try and shoot at anything. Um, more open than, than two eight or so with with actors. I mean, and most of the time I try and get up to four or five six um, with with actors because you just can't. It's just impossible to judge. I think you know if we had CP twos or we had um, you know a camera that didn't drop to SD and the HD video tap and a really good focus puller who was you know had calibrated your lenses and include witness marks. Then yeah, I think you can start to to relax a bit and, and, and open the stop up, but. Um, you know, there's just too many blown takes otherwise. 
that maybe that you don't even catch? Well, it's about one thirty in the morning. We've been shooting all day, and we have to get up early and shoot some <laughs> stuff tomorrow. So I'm going to say thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. That was that was a good chat. I think you sounded quite fine. You didn't yeah. sound too <laughs> didn't sound too dead. Thanks, Ed, for taking the time for that. That's great. I'm, Ed's I'm, a great I'm guy. definitely going to um, sign up for that one as well. Um, we actually be good to touch on because we talk about obviously with Storm and stuff about software and the fact that you know we're dealing with you know reasonably expensive software and some stuff's free. How, what's the uh, take through some of the costs and you know. Um, yeah, getting I, your hands I, on I, I didn't discuss stuff. that, did I? Yeah. No, good point. Um, so it isn't free. Um, if you want to become a member of FXPHD, it's, uh, you have to pay for it. And uh, the, it works on a three-month course basis. So every three months we have a new course. So the new term has just started. Um, if you go to fxphd.com, there's a um, uh, summary of that. There's basically a set of courses, like 40, of which you pay... $330 US and that gets you into FX PhD. Once in PhD, you get one course for free, which is all as standard, which is background fundamentals, and then you get to pick three others. So in this scenario, you would pay 330 US, which by the way today is about 330 Australian. Australian. Yep. Um, and then you would get uh, the Storm course, the if you wanted to, the Da Vinci course and the shooting SLR course. Perfect. And then the background course and that's yeah. that's it. Now, the other thing we do... And you also roll over stuff and you get, you know, the software thing. Sorry, well, jumping I was going to say, no, this is because bit. about the software, because uh, depending on what course you're doing, we provide the software because um, now in the case of what's going on with, um, with Storm, it's free because sure. it's coming out in, in beta. We don't need to do that. But Massive, RenderMan, PF Track, Maya, Cinema 4D, Mocha, Smoke on Mac, Nuke, V-Ray, Mari, the uh, paint, new paint package from the Foundry, and PF Matchup, which is the new version of... Um, of PF Track, all of those things are available on the VPN license, which means that you would install it on your computer quite happily and um, run it. And it literally just, when it looks for a serial number, instead of looking on your local hard drive, it looks over the net to our license your, server. Your license. Says yes, right. this person is licensed, and then it just runs like normal. Yeah, which it's is running exactly on your machine, but it's looking for the serialization on my it. machine. Yeah, or yeah. Our, our server, which cool. is exactly how it runs at a facility. Like if I was at a major post house, right. I switch on my computer and the licenses are kept on a server somewhere in the building and everyone obviously doesn't manage their own licenses on a, you know, 500-person VFX company thing. Obviously, yeah, there's some fantastic other choices in some of the courses. I think I might have even seen my own name there somewhere. Yes, because you, of course, have been uh, (laughs) providing directorial uh, help. But, I mean, the thing is, I've talked about the courses that I think are most relevant to people listening to Red Centre. Yeah. Um, But there's everything from Python scripting to um, lots of, uh, stuff like, uh, well, lots of Nuke stuff in particular. Of, and uh, Tyler's course for, on Nature is coming back again, so it's yep. sort of being reprised. So but if you missed editing, that first time Houdini, around. There's 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 Lustre, there's, um, you know, there's a ton of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Cinema 4D, After Effects, of course. Um, so there's... Yeah, stereoscopic stuff. Yep. Yeah. We have, awesome. we have a reasonable amount of stereoscopic stuff. Um, I don't think... I don't think... Well, it's interesting... I think stereo is a really interesting thing because I think a lot of people need to learn about it quite quickly mm. and in different areas. Um, but we don't do stereoscopic at the expense of mono, I hope. Um, but, for example, in Nuke, we do stereo courses as a specific Nuke and stereo versus a sort of a standard Nuke course, which, um, which wouldn't. But, look, um, in addition to that, if you're in the, in the – sorry, just to interrupt you, but yeah. if you're in the PhD, you can also then uh, go and buy some of the back catalogue 
So you have to be a member first. But if you are a member, for example, there's a terrific one called um, Digital Photography for VFX, uh, and that's actually run by Steve Anderson. And so that's using SLRs to capture HDRs, but also a whole bunch of stuff like lens calibration and, yeah. and stuff. And that's um, just available as immediate download from the vault only. I'm going to say there's a big difference to this sort of stuff, and I'm not just because I like drunk the Kool-Aid because, you know, I like, you know, part of the team or whatever. I've having done, having taken these courses but also t- taught them. This is, if you, particularly if you like the DSLR stuff, this is completely different to, like, just buying a, you DVD. know, DVD off the shelf because, you know, I mean, I've got stuff like that from, like, script writing stuff, which, you know, is five years old. It's probably on VHS and I haven't really watched it more than once or more than half. This is, you know, play along at home kind of stuff where over the 10 weeks the courses roll out, you know, you have it completely interactive. You've got the person teaching the courses in there in the forums for you to ask as many questions as you like pick their brains use them for that time it rolls out you know one week by one you know you get files sent not just not just the course video but you also get you know the files that people are grading or people are sort of playing with in in some of the software is there for you to, to play with as well so you really can sort of play along at home this is not just like teach me how to shoot with my 5d in a, in a dvd and just you know that is just you know, yeah, we don't no offence to of, people that you know do that sort of stuff, but you know, we it's don't really tend to do the very beginner stuff. No, no. And also, here's the thing: like, if you were giving a lecture at a film school, like a real bricks and mortar one, you, mm. Jason, someone would come up to you after the lecture, not normally in the middle yeah, of it, exactly, and say, "Hey, can I just pick your brains about something? Because I've got sure. this problem." And or you mentioned something in the lecture, and I was kind of curious, why'd you go that way? not this other way because I would have thought that was a better way to go. And that's what we're trying to capture so that all the people that we're talking about that are doing these courses like Jim, like you, et cetera, are available in the forums to ask questions. And it's really interesting to me to ask those questions because you never really realise that how much you really, you never, you know, the the classic saying of you never learn so much uh, as when you start to teach, you know, because people start to ask you, why did you do that? And you go think, well... I don't know. I've just always done it. It, it may surprise uh, okay, you to hang know on. this. I know why I did. It may surprise you to know this, Jason. But <laughs> I do a maths course and this time a physics course. Yeah. And yeah, you learn so much. I mean, uh, the intro to physics. You know, I'm expecting to get some really curly questions come up, but that's fun because then you research them, or you know, if you don't know them, yeah, or, or um, and you just discuss them. And that process of articulating, uh, and you know, all the best you cinematographers I know. All the best cinematographers I know are really good at communicating, yep. and also they're really good at sharing their knowledge and and, and talking have a about stuff. For knowledge, but, yeah, you know, two way street. So I, I think, yeah, totally, it's it's great. It's, and of course, the idea is that you can do this from anywhere in the world, in your own time, uh, whenever you like, rather than just having to sort of turn up at some place in the middle of, well, as I had to do um, in say, you know, when I did courses. I'd have to go to the university, and if I wasn't available that week because I had a job on, yeah. I'd fall behind and couldn't catch up. Yeah, it's like, you know, having, it's like, it's the difference between having, you know, a ticket to go to the gym or having organized, you know, having a, a personal trainer that's going to meet you in the park at six o'clock in the morning. You know, you've got to be there. There's other people there. There's a community, and, you know, if you've got that sort of time and that sort of schedule. So you kind of follow it rather than just, oh, I guess I'll go to the gym some stage this week. <laughs> That's a pretty weird analogy, but uh, that was pretty weird. Boot camp versus it. gym ticket. But look, um, I don't mean to make it into a big plug, and I apologise for doing that. But having said that, uh, you know, in fairness, this is what we uh, absolutely we no, do for a living. You're completely well validated. Uh, yes, I mean, you know, like I understand that you guys don't tune in for an ad, but by the same token, um, 
Uh, we do appreciate uh, the support because obviously it, it funds everything else that we do uh, in the sense that this podcast obviously is free and stuff. Sure, sure. Hey, um, so in terms of uh, Twitter shout-outs this week, um, I, look, I know that we've done it before, but uh, I really think that I want to flag that if you guys aren't following um, uh, Tom, who does the time-lapse stuff, that um, Tom's been posting, and Tyler for that matter, some really interesting stuff through their Twitter feed, yeah. including, did you see that crane shot they did? Yeah, that was extremely cool. Um, was it a Kessler time-lapse crane? Well, but, but, but Tyler did a time-lapse of the time-lapse happening if that makes sense right yeah 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 there's a time that so you get to see the shot uh of the crane in motion and then and the, the shot that the, the crane shot, shot which, yeah. which both of which are awesome and i'm sure we've done both of those guys on twitter before but i'm just going to point out that i don't know how people use twitter I, I certainly use facebook for um social stuff off the off the radar of my work stuff i tend to use twitter these days pretty much i just follow people that have some professional interest because they tend to flag stuff that they're doing or, or have seen and i find it professionally interesting i've found Twitter to be getting more and more useful as a kind of a feed of what's happening around the place so I can keep an eye out and an ear out to what's going on. And anyway, so if, you've, if you're not following um, Tom or Tyler, but um, I guess we should flag uh, yep. Tom. Yep, which is uh, Timescapes at uh, twitter.com slash timescapes and, uh, or twitter.com slash Tyler Ginter, G-I-N-T-E-R. Um, Both and, very valid file, file. And let's also do uh, Kessler Crane, who, by the way, tend to retweet everybody who ever mentions them. <laughs> so if you want to get retweeted by them, all you just mention Kessler, Kessler, Kessler Crane anywhere. But I'm not doing it for that reason. But they do make really, really good stuff. A great supporter of the industry, and yeah, they're they listening, are. and they yeah. are feeding back. And uh, have you got a yours is a Kessler? Yeah, no, I, you got I bought, a slider. I put my money where and and you know, not for free. I bought yeah, it yeah, sure. and uh, and use it. It was great. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah. Anyway, so they're um, K-E-S-S-L-E-R-C-R-A-N-E um, at Twitter. And so I know none of those necessarily original, but I do want to um, uh, give them shout-outs because I found the stuff that Tyler and um, was posting. And, and I find Tom, you know, is particularly – he's working on, obviously, a feature film or a film project. Yeah, as soon as he's getting to the end of that, we're going to nab him for a Red Room because uh, oh, I've been you. you know trying to get him for ages. And what makes more sense to get him when he's done uh, shooting this because he shoots a lot of this stuff on Red, not just DSLRs. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, he's actually very, um, coming to Tyler, I don't think you've done if Tyler told me this privately or on public, but anyway, whatever. He was saying how much uh, Tom really likes the red and how uh, he's really enjoying it. Mm. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to see what Tom is going to do with it. Oh, the stuff that, you know, over the last, whatever, six, eight months since he started the project, the shots he's been, you know, slowly eking out have just been... You know, he is like a weathered, weather and time kind of wizard, this guy, and he just lucks it. But, you know, again, it's like if you don't get out there, you can't shoot it. You know, you can't sit back and go, oh, that was nice light. Oh, he's just lucky. He gets out there, you know, time and time again. He, he gets out there and uh, obviously, you know, he, he has a project to do. But, you know, well, you can't got, shoot no, nice stuff unless you get out the door. It's the 10,000 hours, isn't it? What? What? Huh? 10,000 hours. Okay. Is that like monkeys in a room? No, no, don't you know about 10,000 Hours? No. So there's a book um, called Outliers uh, that has as part of it a whole section. This guy, Malcolm Gladwell, wrote it about 10,000 Hours. And he... God, I can't believe you don't know this. So, um, so in the book, he basically says, look, there's a myth about genius that um, is gets further and further into the popular culture that someone just is a genius. You'll yeah. say, oh, this guy's genius, right? Yeah, just Tom that, is a genius. Way. He's really good at time-lapse. And he said, well, if you actually start researching it, you'll find that, yes, it, it pays to have talent, but nothing is actually truer than the 5% in, 
genius, what is it? 5% genius, 95%, no, 5% inspiration, 95% perspiration. Yeah. Because that's a better uh, thing to go on because, Mm. um, and so he, for example, uses concert violinists and he says, now you look at all these concert violinists and he, then has lots and lots of stats in the book. He says, okay, so, uh, if you look at this set here and this set here, which is another set that isn't at the major concert level, but it's at like teaching and is very, very good, but just Mm. not at the, top of the line and he mapped these two groups now admittedly the sample numbers weren't massive but they were you know like 40 50 kind of he said there isn't one person in the top group that hasn't had at least ten thousand hours practice and right. there wasn't one person in the b group that did right and and his point is that time and time again if you look at somebody that's really really good it's a combination of when they were born and a lot of that's like in the year and the year that they were born can really affect their opportunities but then it's just getting in the hours. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, that Lewis Hamilton. He's just a genius driver. I mean, hello, he's been like, he's been in a go kart since he was like nine or whatever. Well, exactly. You know? And, and like, he even points to the Beatles, right? And, and people say, well, surely the Beatles are just, you know, you know Lennon, yeah. McCartney, just, geniuses. Like, yeah. He said, well, yeah, except for let's not forget that they went to Germany where they were playing about 10 hours a day for months at a time mm. when other bands would play once every weekend or maybe twice a month. These guys, and they would play then for what an hour, hour and a half. The Beatles went at a very formulative, formulative time in their in their development, and just practice, 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 practiced yeah. day in, day out for hours and hours and hours. And so when they came back to England, um, you know, they were significantly talented, absolutely, but also they had a hell of a lot of actual practice in. Mm. And he points to just tons and tons of people that when they do the research, they discover that it's around this magical kind of 10,000-hour mark. If you want to be really, really, really good at something, you have to just get the hours in. And I've got to tell you, like, uh, even for me, or not even for me, for me, I find that to be true. Like, I'll be something that I feel like I know quite a lot about, and then I'll just start doing quite a lot of it, and I'll just be stunned at how much better I'm getting yeah, by, um, doing, it. Mm-hmm. by doing it. And it's something that I think that theoretically I can already do. So this is, what, our 74th, and we do what about two hours a week at the moment? So we, <laughs> that's just the that's the actual recording, right. so, you know. There's a f- other freaking hours of recording, you know, interviews, chasing the interviews. Nevertheless, yes, if we were to divide the ten thousand by our two hours, yes, we're going to have to get up to several hundred, uh, mm. if not five thousand. So it's be really good at it. What are you trying, so what are you saying about this app then? I'm just saying that it's probably time to wrap it up. See you guys. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us red at fxguide.com. Copyright 2010 FX Guide LLC.